When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You're watching episode number 238 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we are going to talk about all of the lacrosse craziness that took place yesterday. Friday Night Lacrosse was totally dwarfed by Saturday's absolute chaos as we saw numerous updates. We saw plenty of unexpected outcomes overall, mixed with some butt kickings in there as well. Uh, what started as a slate of games that didn't expect to be all that exciting, or at least I didn't, and through the chatter and the Twitter spaces leading into all the games, none of us really thought that these games were going to be all that exciting. We figured things were going to play out as they should. The opposite ended up being true, and we had upsets galore. So before I dive into this, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, share the crap out of the podcast with your friends. You can also go to laxfactor.com. You can watch all of our videos there. You can also buy Lax Factor podcast-related swag to support the channel or just regular t-shirts and all that crap and then you can watch all of our episodes the lax factor college across show here that we do every sunday morning and every wednesday you can watch all of those here as well now i did update the poll we'll go into that and look at it later actually i'll drag that here to the end here but the first game that I wanted to talk about was number three Georgetown against unranked Johns Hopkins, but they will not be unranked much longer. Uh, the Hopkins is back crowd. They were kind of uh, they kind of have a little bit of vindication here after they were getting chirped by the non Hopkins is back crowd on Twitter. We even had Hopkins fans chirping Hopkins fans because certain a certain segment was like Hopkins is back after they beat up on Jacksonville pretty handily. And everyone was like, hey, let's temper our expectations here. And then they go in, uh, host number three Georgetown at Homewood, and they come away with the one-goal win. Hopkins was down three goals to start the fourth quarter. They managed to rattle off five consecutive goals capped by Garrett Degnan, putting the Jays up 13-11 to with 5.09 left in the game. Five different players scored goals for Hopkins over that run. Jacob Kelly, he was able to get one back and give Georgetown a chance, but time ran out with the Hoyas getting a le- uh, without the Hoyas getting a legit shot off, and Hopkins picked up the huge win uh, over number three Georgetown. And when I say they didn't get a shot off, I mean we're talking. I think they the Hoyas got a shot off with like four minutes left. I don't even think it hit the cage, and then the rest of the game they did not even get another shot off to try to contend the outcome of that game. Uh, Tim Marcel was. Excellent once again in cage for Hopkins. He stopped 16 of the 28 shots he faced. Tyler Dunn did a commendable job against James Riley, winning 11 of 22 uh, against Georgetown at the faceoff dot. That was huge because Riley is a very good faceoff man that not only wins a high percentage of draws, but he usually puts points up as well. They held him scoreless, and they, they didn't get the better of him necessarily, but they hung tough with Riley all day long. 
kept pace and that helped them keep pace in this game overall. Now for Hopkins, uh, Jacob Angelis, four assists. Russell Menendez had an incredible game overall with four goals. Garrett Degnan and Jonathan Peshko each put up three goals. As I said, Marcel played incredible in cage, and that's going to be a key for Hopkins down the road. Not only has their defense looked incredible and they looked really good against Georgetown. Now, uh, Georgetown put up some points. I mean, they got 12 goals out of this, but that that Hopkins defense was just pesky enough overall to just continually, you know, force bad shots out of them. They won one-on-one matchups more often than not, so they didn't let guys like Tucker Dordovic and uh, Graham Bundy Jr. run roughshod all over them. Now, Tucker Dordovic did put up five goals in that game, and Graham Bundy Jr. did have three goals and a helper in that game, but between Marcel you know, stopping the ball when he should between that defense, getting themselves stops when they needed them, and then everything else that kind of just fell into place for Hopkins at the faceoff dot everywhere. This was a complete game. I was the most impressed overall, even though this was against the Georgetown offense that was supposed to be insanely good and put up a ton of goals. I was impressed with what the Hopkins offense did against this heralded Georgetown defense. Oh, it was just a complete game out of Hopkins. They played all four quarters. Uh, Georgetown did jump out to an early lead. They were up 4-1 at the end of the first quarter, and then they were up 7-6 to at halftime, and then they went up even more. They ended up you know, kind of tearing it up, Georgetown did in the third quarter. Uh, if I total this right, 8-9, it was what, 11? to nine or so at the end of the third quarter, but Hopkins rattles off five goals. They outscore Georgetown five to one over the course of that fourth quarter. As we kind of come down here and we see, we see this five goal run right there to start the fourth ended with five Oh nine left. Georgetown didn't get one back until Kelly got one back late. It was just an incredible, incredible game out of the entire Hopkins team. The defense did a great job stopping a very formidable offense, making them really just two dimensional. As you see kind of the, you know, in terms of the Georgetown scoring Graham Bundy jr. And Tucker Dordovic were the, the main threats on the day. And they kind of neutralized everyone else. Minikis, the court, uh, Colgate transfer, two goals. Jacob Kelly, one and one. Aiden Carroll, one and one. Nikki Solomon was just 0-1. Declan McDermott, nothing off five shots. So hats off to Hopkins. It's a hell of a game. And then in my poll, they are going to go from an unranked team to being a highly ranked team. You know, not highly, highly ranked, but much better. They're going to they're gonna frog jump Georgetown in the rankings. And we're going to see that with a couple of teams here as we rip through. The next game I need to talk about here is Duke and Jacksonville. Many were saying this was kind of a must-win game for Jacksonville this early in the season because of their loss to Hopkins. Their schedule doesn't get any easier overall, and it just continues to get brutal for, for Jacksonville here. We can actually see what their schedule looked like. You know, they lose to Hopkins. If they had lost to Duke, then they would have probably been able to pick up wins against these guys here. But you see, oh, man, they've dumbed their schedule down. All right. Everybody who said that this was a must-win game for Jacksonville, maybe they were calling it a must-win game for Jacksonville because they they don't have enough chances to pick up solid non-conference wins after this because their schedule is really, really watered down and pretty weak overall. But it doesn't matter because, uh, A, I think that was dumb. I I even said I think it was a must-win for them in my write-up here, but now as I'm looking at the schedule, it wasn't. But regardless... They end up pulling out the the huge win over Duke here. Now Duke went down early, four to two. They kind of climb back in it. It's nine to five at the half, and then a seven to two third quarter. Just the, Jacksonville just ran rough shot over Duke in that third quarter there. 
Anyway, Duke, they had that 10-6 lead early in the third. Jacksonville would go on to score the game's next six goals to take that 12-10 lead. Dyson Williams, he'd get one back, making the score 12-11, but it was Ethan Lamont that would score the dagger, an eventual game winner just a couple of minutes into the fourth quarter, putting Jacksonville up 13-11. I, I, I am going to roll that Lamont goal, and you'll see how terrible that feed was, and that's why I didn't get more highlights rolled in for this game overall. Uh, the Jacksonville defense, incredible overall in this game. They played great down the stretch, both in their one-on-one matchups and between the boxes. Jacksonville picks up the win despite getting absolutely wrecked at the faceoff dot. Jake Naso won 19 of 27, also had an assist, but overall 16 turnovers killed Duke by the end of the day. Only four of those were forced. So Duke just made a lot of, uh, you could call them uncharacteristic mistakes, but Duke, you know, this offense over the course of the last couple of years, despite the wealth of talent, has not gelled game in and je- game out. They'll have a game where they'll play incredible, a game where they kind of seem to to play down a little bit. You'd think some stat would, would kind of stick out here uh, overall that would show some sort of edge for Jacksonville, but there just, just weren't any other than the fact that they held Duke to just one shot on cage over the entire fourth quarter. As we kind of look through the stats here, you see Duke wins the shot game. Duke only wins the shots on goal game by one, 25 to 24 overall. Uh, Jacksonville won the saves game here. Turnovers, Duke lost that. So you could say turnovers played a big role here. You know, both teams cleared the ball well. Uh, ground balls, Duke won. Uh, faceoffs, Duke won by a lot. Extra man opportunity even. Jacksonville was 0, of, 0 for 5. So what it really came down to, Duke turnovers. And then just Duke just not shooting the rock all that well overall. And uh, that was, you know, I don't know. It, it was weird that Jacksonville didn't even take advantage of the of the situations where Duke shot themselves in the foot and seemed to be trying to give them goals. Jacksonville was able to pick up goals in other places. What it came down to in the end was Jacksonville's defense came to play. Luke Milliken just slightly edged out William Helm in the goalie battle with Milliken making 13 saves versus 11 goals against. Helm's stats, you could flip them. 11 saves against, 13 goals against. Those just flipped stats. Milliken wins the goalie battle, and Jacksonville wins the game. I was also expecting to hop in here and just see Milliken had 22 saves in this game as I was kind of looking at the stats, not seeing anything that stuck out. But it comes down to turnovers, not finishing the rock, you know, the other team's goalie playing a little bit better than your goalie. And uh, Jacksonville just gutted this out uh, from the beginning of the game to the end and picks up the win against number, what was Duke? Duke was number eight. Jacksonville was number 18 at the time of this. All right, next game that we have to talk about, another one here, is number two, Maryland against Loyola. Now, I didn't pick this as my biggest. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Upset of the day, even though Maryland was, you know, came in number two and Loyola was unranked, uh, partly because I expected at some point Maryland was probably going to drop one of these. I mean, you figure they hadn't lost a game since losing to Virginia in the 2021 national title. They went undefeated last year en route to the national championship. So they were bound to lose a game. And I didn't think that it was necessarily going to be Loyola that did it to them. But alas, it was Loyola that did it to them. 
Loyola controlled this game to a degree from the outset. They'd take a lead. Maryland would chip back, but the Greyhounds would use a fourth quarter, use the fourth quarter to pull away and drop the Terps. Matthew Minikis and Adam Poitras both scored goals assisted by Davis Lin- Lindsley. Uh, can't even talk here. Matthew Minikis and Adam Poitras both scored goals assisted by Davis Lindsay that gave Loyola a two-goal lead with 7.25 to play in the third quarter. Maryland would get back to within 7-6, to six, but Loyola would score five unanswered goals after that, and that was the ball game. Now, the odd part about the larger margin of victory that we saw in this one was that, once again, Luke Weirman waxed them at the faceoff dot. He not, not just like what Naso did in Duke's game against Jacksonville. He goes 18 of 22, Weirman does from the dot. Despite dominating the dot there and the possession battle overall, Maryland offense just couldn't get anything going against this Loyola defense. They won their man-to-man matchups. They played good off ball. They, they, they just made it very difficult for Maryland to get anything going offensively. Loyola goaltender uh, Luke Stott, he stood on his head making 19 saves and giving up just seven goals to the Terps. He had seven saves alone over the fourth quarter that saw Loyola pull away and put this game out of reach. On the Terps side, normally solid, normally like All-American caliber goalkeeper Logan McNaney, he had a rough day letting up 12 of the 19 shots he faced. Very uncharacteristic game of him, but Loyola was getting good looks over and over and over again. The Terps defense started out strong. They've had a good first half, but you could see kind of in the second half as the offense wasn't picking up the slack and trying to get back in this game and keep pace. And as Loyola's offense started to pull away, that defense just kind of buckled at some point. And that's where you see the the uh, the score go three to two Loyola over the course of the third quarter, and then four to one over the course of the fourth quarter for Loyola. Evan James three goals, Davis Lindsay one goal, two helpers, Seth Higgins a goal and two helpers, Roman Diego three caused turnovers and a ground ball, and then like I said, goal goalkeeper Luke Stott nineteen saves against seven goals against for Maryland. Daniel Kelly four goals, Maycar had two caused turnovers, Logan Logan McNaney just five saves against twelve goals against. Now that is rough. Again, as we look at the stat line though, nothing stands out here. Maryland won the shot battle. Maryland definitely didn't put a high enough percentage of their shots on cage. And that was because of the contested nature of many of those shots. We see the save battle, just 19 saves compared to five. That's really the story of this game. Maryland, uh, too many turnovers in the second half. Yeah. Loyola had 12 over the second half, but Maryland matched that uh, and some with 13 in the second half. Uh, both teams cleared the ball relatively well. Ground balls in favor of Maryland. Faceoffs heavily in favor of Maryland. Extra man opportunities. A wash. So what it really comes down to here is Loyola's goalkeeper had himself a day. Loyola ends up winning this game by a margin, drops number two Maryland, and Maryland's going to drop themselves probably, uh, you know, potentially out of the top ten here as teams, so many ranked teams lost and you're going to end up having to have some of these teams frog jump the others. So incredible job by that Loyola defense and by the offense. Once again, just like in the uh, um, the Jackson, not Jacksonville, the uh, Georgetown uh, upset. Johns Hopkins offense outperformed a very good defensive team. Loyola's offense outperformed a very good defensive team in Maryland. So credit to them for that. The next one. Michigan against number one, Virginia. I didn't even have Virginia listed as number one in my notes. 
The four-goal spread by the end of this game doesn't tell enough of the story. Michigan was in this game throughout. Credit to Virginia for not allowing Michigan to sniff what it feels like to, to have a lead in this game. Uh, because uh, Virginia scored 23 seconds into the game and then had the lead for the rest of the game. Thomas McConvey scored the first goal of the game, and Virginia would hold a lead of at least one goal for the remainder. The story, though, was pretty simple. Virginia would take the lead. Michigan would get back to within a goal. Uh, as an example, UVA took a 10-7 lead early in the third quarter. Michigan got back to within a goal, but then Virginia had an answer every single time. I think it was went 10-7 down to 11-9. Then I think it went like you know 13-10, and then back to 13-12. You know something like that. But it, it did keep going back and forth, and every time Virginia would answer, Michigan would try to eke back into it. Except for when the dagger was scored, and it was also the eventual game winner. First goal of the game, Thomas McConvey, the eventual game winner, also by Thomas McConvey with 11.52 left in the fourth quarter. That gave Virginia a 14-12 lead, and the Cavs would expand upon that and route to that 17-13 spread. Michigan, very aggressive offensively, and Virginia had a hard time in one-on-one -on -one matchups. They gave up 36 shots to the Wolverines, and they put 29 of them on cage. The, the Virginia defense looked completely out of sorts, especially over the course of that first half. And yeah, they were leading the game, and they controlled the game but they did not look like a typical um, Virginia defense. And, and I was surprised Nunes had as many saves as he did because the periods where I was actually paying attention and not watching some of the other games, I thought it looked like Nunes was having a, a rough time overall. In the end, uh, Nunes, he stopped 15 shots and gave up 13 goals, so it's not a bad day for him. And then, but, but what I would say, I feel like he gave up some uncharacteristic goals. I feel like even though Nunes stopped more than he, say, uh, than he let up, I think that he gave up some goals that he normally maybe would have stopped or maybe he would have liked to have had back. Shane Carr, on the other hand, for Michigan, he had a rough day in net. He made only nine saves to the 17 goals that Virginia scored. But I will say the Michigan defense did a solid job of limiting Virginia's looks, which is why the score remained close for most of that game despite the lack of saves in net for Carr. For Virginia, Connor Schellenberger and McConvey, they both went 3-3. Three and three. Peyton Cormier, 5-1. Petey fucking LaSala, two goals and won 13 of 24 faceoffs with six GBs despite wearing a boot all week and leading right up into game time. A lot of chatter before the game. Was LaSala even going to play? They had actually adjusted the spreads and things like that, and some were speculating maybe that had to do with uh, LaSala maybe not playing. LaSala played and scored two goals despite being a little bit hobbled. Dude's just an absolute animal. And, um, and then the, it doesn't it keeps going, you know, 13 to 24 for him. Let's see, Grayson Soliday and Cade uh, Sawstead, they each had two caused turnovers. And then, like I said, Noons, 15 saves in net. Now for Michigan, Ryan Cohen, three and two. Josh Zuada, two and two. Shane Carr, nine saves. Terrible, terrible outing overall for him. But like I said, credit to Michigan. They they looked they looked solid. They looked improved. As I said, I've been chirping Michigan for years for playing a terrible schedule, and they've changed that up this year. And I even said, oh, maybe they shouldn't have changed that up because they have a, a, an improved team and could have on paper won a lot more games, but they did go out and they beefed up their schedule. So maybe, maybe this is the year that Michigan's thinking, hey, 
maybe we're going to lose uh, you know, the bulk of these non-conference games to some very good teams that we're playing, but we're going to play those teams and try to prepare ourselves for Big Ten play because for the first time in a long time, the Big Ten conference seems to kind of be up for grabs. And uh, while I don't think Michigan's going to be the team to step up, I have to say they look much improved and credit to them for playing a good game on, a, uh, uh, on opening day against a very good Virginia squad. And next up, how could I not talk about Syracuse? I wanted to, let's be honest, you guys know I wanted to talk about Syracuse's Friday night tilt against Hop, uh, against uh, Albany right off the bat. I didn't. Uh, this wasn't much fun overall for Albany after Elijah Gash tied things up at ones just a minute into the game, a minute and a half into the game. Syracuse would go on to score the game's next five goals, taking a 6-1 lead. Albany managed to get back to within 6-3 to before Syracuse rolled to that 20-7 win. Now, the Orange offense overall looked much improved uh, versus how they looked against Vermont. They struggled mightily against Vermont last weekend, and I was actually curious to see how they would look against Albany, a team that had beat him just a year ago, and they looked really good. Now, in hindsight, we see Vermont, and we'll talk about this here a little bit, Vermont took down uh, Boston U, who has one of the best attack groups coming back in the country. So maybe that 7-5 game and the way that the Syracuse offense and attack struggled against Vermont, maybe that's not a fluke, and we'll talk about why I think that's the case and what that means for Syracuse when I get down and I talk about that Vermont and Boston U game overall. Uh, you know, I don't know. Syracuse looked a lot better. Not incredible, though. That second midfield line, they were still a little bit shaky, I feel like, this week against Albany. They had quite a few unforced turnovers, and sometimes they kind of ran themselves into trouble, allowing Albany to force a turnover. At the end of the day, though, they jump out to that 5-1 lead with Jackson Whistle putting up two goals in that stretch. One of them was an absolute filthy low to high rip that perfectly stuck the corner. Uh, Joey Spelina, he puts up two goals over that stretch as well, had himself a much better game with five goals off just seven shots after going one of 15 against Vermont. Uh, Burt Whistle finished the game with three goals. Now, other Orange players that got involved, Hiltz was 3-1. and one. Cole Kurse transfer midi from Lehigh, 2-1. and one. Carter Rice, defensive midfielder. Uh, uh, Avilas didn't play. Syracuse's number one short stick D-mid. So Carter Rice kind of stepped up to fill that number one role. Had himself a very good game. Two goals offensively and then played pretty good defensively as well. That, that short stick D-mid group of Syracuse, Still a little bit shaky. I, I still don't think they're all necessarily the best cover guys. I think they have speed, but they lack some lateral kind of quickness overall. But they're really good between the boxes, and that showed in this game, obviously, with Rice scoring two goals. The matchup I was watching closely was the Syracuse defense against Graydon Hogg. Not that Hogg is this incredible filthy, dirty attackman, but just like Syracuse was able to limit Klosterman for Vermont last week, I wanted to see what are they going to do against this team's best player, and that's definitely Hogg. They beat him up all day. Landon Clary had a very good game against Hogg, holding him to just one goal on seven shots. The other polls had shots at Hogg as well overall, and everybody held up. The Syracuse defense still looking much improved. Will Mark has been an absolute killer in cage, stopping 14 of the 21 shots he faced, giving up just seven goals. He's only given up six goals per game over the last two, 12 goals in two games. Now, granted, Vermont's offense looked very good, and Mark saved Syracuse's ass in that game, helping us get that win. 
Albany's offense did not look that good, but we gave up quite a few shots, and they still got a bunch of looks, and Mark was there every single time for the Syracuse defense. So hopefully Will Mark can keep this up because they're going to need him to next weekend when they take on Maryland overall. Like I said, Spelina, five goals. Simmons, four assists. He's one I didn't talk about. Uh, Johnny Richusa, he goes 17-29 to from the faceoff dot. Another decent day for him. Sam Alexo had a cost turnover, two GBs and a helper. I think Alexo maybe assisted Rice's goal. And uh, for Albany, Silas, Richmond, and Jack Pucci, they put up two goals. And uh, Syracuse plays today. They're going to play uh, Holy Cross Sunday today, and then they're going to go on and play Maryland down at College Park next weekend. Albany, they've got Cornell up at Albany. Those poor bastards. Next game I want to talk about here, and this is the one that I wanted to kind of tie into here because, you know, I like to beat a dead horse when it comes to talking about Syracuse and what all these different games mean as they line up uh, in terms of Syracuse. Boston University, number 14 team, I was really, really high on Boston University. I thought that they were going to do huge things this season. I figured they were going to come in and beat Vermont. I put a five-unit bet down on Boston University to beat Vermont Moneyline. I wasn't crazy or anything, but I thought they'd win in a close game. Not even close. Boston U ended up going on a six-goal run to close this game out, and they still lost 14-12, making me look stupid and losing me money as one of my largest bets over the weekend. Vermont jumped out to a 3-1 lead by the end of the first quarter and led 8-5 by the half. But the third quarter was when the Catamounts put the big hurt on the stray dogs from Boston, scoring the quarter's final five goals and then the first goal of the fourth to take a 14-6 lead with 12-08 to play in the contest. David Klosterman, who was quiet against Syracuse, he had two goals and a helper over that six-goal run. The Vermont offense put an absolute clinic, put on an absolute clinic. Uh, Brock Haley, he had three goals and five helpers. Jonas Hunter, five goals and two assists. Klosterman filling things out with four points in all, including two goals in the third quarter. The story and how this game flowed overall, it all came down to Tommy Burke. Burke won 15 to 27 faceoffs on the day, which doesn't sound like an incredible stat line, but he won 12 of the game's first 15 draws. And, uh, and then down the stretch over the third and fourth quarters, he lost 11 of 14. So when Vermont built their lead and kind of got the edge over Boston U was when Burke was dominating. But then down the stretch, he started faltering. That's what allowed Boston U to get into this game. But the fact that he won enough draws early on uh, and, and that gave Vermont the momentum, that's good enough. He didn't finish strong necessarily, but he won more than the other team. His team ends up picking up the two-goal win because that offense looked great. Another huge key here for Vermont, and this is two weeks in a row this kid's played well, Schaefer. Matt Schaefer was excellent in cage for the second straight game, stopping 15 shots versus just 12 goals against, and he picks up the win. He played excellent in the Syracuse game as well, robbing Syracuse left and right. More, more importantly, robbing Joey Spelina of like seven of his shots were saves made by Schaefer. For Vermont, Brock Haley, 3-5, and five, as I said. Hunter, 5-2. and two. Burke, 15-27. Matt Schaefer with the 15 saves. For Boston U, Louis Perfetto, 4 goals and a helper. Vince Dalto, 3-2. and two. Matt Garber, 12 saves against 14 goals against. Vermont's going to have Utah next, and Boston U's going to play Bryant. Both are on the road. All right. Let us ditch this one. Now we're going to actually go directly to the screen. These are games that I don't have anything written up for. We're just going to rock off of the box scores. But Army and UMass, and UMass controlled this game from the outset. They take a 4-1 to one lead by the half. Army was able to kind of claw back 
into it and tie things up at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Five up, Jacob Morin from Reese Burrick, and then UMass scored the next two. And, uh, you know, you see Army's going to kind of chip back and tie it up again late in the fourth at eights before UMass finishes it off. And it's, uh, who is it? Tim Hoynes ends up scoring the game winner for UMass with 328. And then the dagger was scored by Mike Tobin with 225 left in the contest. As we look at individual statistics here, spread out across the board here overall for UMass. Uh, Carter uh, Castillo, three goals. Gabriel uh, uh, Prosik, two assists. And Dylan Arendt, uh, one and one. That that uh, The three-man group there for UMass of the attackmen, they kind of led them with, uh, what, three, five, seven points combined or so. And then let's see what UMass did at the faceoff dot. No, Army controlled the faceoff dot here. Uh, Will Coletti. He did handle his business. He went 12 of 21 at the faceoff dot for Army overall. But the problem with Army is going to be scoring. They're going to have a hard time figuring out who's going to replace um, their All American that put up, you know, a million goals here. Nick Turn, Bren, uh, Brendan Nick Turn from a year ago. So they have to figure that out. Reese Burrick is the guy that people, you know, think are going to fill that. Jacob Morin should have a solid season, but Army's going to have to figure that out. Rough shooting day here overall for Burrick. And then as we look at the goalkeeping stats here, this was the story. Matt Note, 19 saves against just eight goals against Knox Dent. Knox Dent, that's a dope name. He didn't get it done for Army. But yeah, you look at Note here, his 19 saves are the story for UMass in that victory. So UMass now want to know. That's going to bump Army out of my top 20. That's going to bring UMass into the mix here. They were right on the edge. So good crap for UMass. Next game, I want to talk about another solid game. It was Air Force upsetting Denver. Uh, Denver was ranked coming into it. I think they were somewhere in the area like 17th here. And like you see, solid game throughout. Denver controlled early. Air Force ends up kind of turning the tides. They take the lead 7-4 to four here in the second quarter. And then as we come back down, uh, it does not get tied back up again after they take that lead here over the course of the second army or Denver does kind of chip back into it, but air force is going to end up winning and rolling from there. Let's see what air force did scores for Denver. JJ Silstrap three goals, you know, Denver's going to have to kind of figure out what they're going to do offensively as well. They lost a lot of veterans last year and they didn't play particularly well offensively last year. So they're still going to have to figure things out. And once again, we keep seeing this trend teams winning the face off. Uh, battle and then still losing the game. You see what Stathakis did here for Denver. 17 of 23. They still lose this game uh, to Air Force. Brandon Dodd, five goals and a helper in this day. So that ends up being a huge factor. And then as we come down and we look at the goalkeepers, if there's a stat line that looks gross at the faceoff dot, but a team still won more often than not, you're going to see it's because their goalkeeper had himself a day. 17 saves for Jason Rose in net for Air Force compared to Almost no saves over here for uh, for Denver. Jack Thompson played well in that opening win against Utah for Denver. Did not play well at all in this game, making just three stops against 12 goals against before getting yanked and letting uh, Kleban get some time here. So hell of a job by Air Force across the board. A good job defensively. A insane job in cage for Jason Rose. And that's all she wrote. Air Force ends up upsetting Denver. Once again, another bet that I lost because I am a moron. This one, once again, Ohio State, and they're completely and utterly bullshit stats. Not anything huge to talk about in this one, though. Ohio State handled their business against Cleveland State. Now, uh, offensively, I was surprised 
Cleveland State was able to put up 10 goals in that second half. You know, it wasn't a huge spread after at the end at, at halftime. It was 10 to 2 in favor of Ohio State. I'm thinking this game's probably going the way of 18 to 5, 18 to 6, but holy crap, you know, Cleveland State comes out and puts some actual points up on the board. Ohio State still wins the game 19-12, you know, so that really doesn't matter. And then as we kind of rip through the points here, uh, for Ohio State, Jack Myers was quiet, only one and two. Ed Sheen goes for five and one on the day. Uh, you know, so you see a lot of scoring here, and I'm not even going to try to read this um, uh, because the PDS. So Ohio State, do a better job, man. Get some better stats out there. Use sidearm sports like everybody else does. So we're done with that because their stats suck, and I don't feel like reading any more of it. Uh, Rutgers and Stony Brook. I actually was surprised at the outcome here. Here, I thought Rutgers would run this up a little bit more on Stony Brook than they did. It all comes down to just that second quarter. Every quarter was even two up for, through the first, third, and fourth, but it was that second quarter, 5-1. Rutgers outscored Stony Brook to take that win over the course of that 5-1 run here. Uh, let's see. Uh, David Sprock got in on the action, assisted by uh, Ross Scott. Ross Scott had a couple. So Rutgers... They handled their business here. Let's see who scored for Rutgers. Brian Cameron, 3-1. Ross Scott, 2-1. David Sprock comes back from injury last season. He puts up two goals in this win overall. Uh, Joe Newman and Jonathan Dugenio handle business at the dot, combining for 15 of 21. Once again, though, hell of a job by Stony Brook for hanging in this game the way they did despite getting waxed at the faceoff dot. And once again, you see faceoff discrepancy and the score doesn't match the face-off discrepancy, usually it's going to be because there is a goalie here that had himself a day, and it's uh, Jamison McLaughlin. He goes for 23 fucking saves against just 11 goals against. A hell of a job there for the Stony Brook keeper. Kyle Mullen looked good in goal for Rutgers, though. He goes for seven saves against seven goals against, and Rutgers wins a the game. They, they, let's not pretend. They controlled the game. They had the lead. They held on. They got the win right now. Rutgers looks like they're Rutgers and Hopkins and Ohio State sitting at the top of the Big Ten with Maryland losing here to Loyola. So hell of a job by Rutgers to get the win. But man, McLaughlin here, if that's how you say his name, McLaughlin, that looks like that's what it said. That dude had himself a hell of a game against a very, very solid and a very aggressive Rutgers offense. Next up, Bryant and Providence here. And this one, I have no idea. What happened, except that it looks like Providence clawed back late and, you know, Bryant may have sealed the deal at the end and they didn't. Bryant ends up with a 15-11 lead and then let uh, uh, Providence climb back into it. Providence got back within a goal with 13 seconds left in the game. So it wasn't all that scary um, for Bryant overall. If we look at who scored for Bryant, Kevin Groening Groninger. Two goals and three helpers, Johnny Hackett, three and one, Timmy Hackett, Johnny and Timmy Hackett. They both go three and one. Uh, you see a bunch of guys put up a good number of points here for Bryant, new coach, everything like that. And then Providence, Ryan Bell goes for six goals and four helpers off just nine shots. That's a hell of a game there for uh, Providence. I believe he's a young kid too, isn't he? Let's see. Yeah, sophomore. He was just a freshman last year. So Ryan Bell having himself a game in the loss. But, hey, Bryant picks up the win. Another one I wanted to talk about here was Navy at Hofstra. I was thinking Navy, once again, may win this by more. They jump out to an early lead. That third quarter allows Hofstra to uh, get back into it a little bit, and it comes right down to the wire. Once again, though, 13-10 
lead with 344 left. They give up a goal with 108 left. John Madsen scores two goals late for Hofstra to get to back within a goal. And then we're going to have to check the play-by-play on this. What happened at the end of this game here? Did we get Hofstra scored? Uh, Face-off. Hofstra won the face-off. Timeout. Rory Jones turned it over for Hofstra with 54 seconds left. Navy cleared, and Navy ends up winning that game to improve to 3-0. and oh. Another one, Sacred Heart against St. Joseph's. St. Joseph's put the herd on Sacred Heart pretty badly here from the outset. I think Sacred Heart hung a little bit early in this one. Uh, Matt Bomber, 2-2. Two and two. Levi Anderson, 3-0. and oh. Colin Reich, 1-2. Carter Page, 3-0. and oh. That's the four guys that put up all the points for him last year. So they lead St. Joseph's with a pretty balanced attack right there overall. And then you see Zach Cole just wrecked, absolutely wrecked Sacred Heart at the dot. Zach Cole going 17 of 23, 10 GBs, and just a single turnover. That's a hell of a job here. And goalie battle, yeah, pretty pretty decent here. St. Saint, Saint Joe's had barely gave up any shots. I mean, that's just crazy. Four, four saves, four goals against, one save, one goal against. They literally gave up, it looks like, 10 shots on cage all day to Sacred Heart. Let's see if that's true. Literally, they give up 21 shots to Sacred Heart on the game. Only 10 of them were put on cage. So I'm surprised that score is not worse. But, you know, hey. St. Saint, Saint Joe's picks up their first win of the year. I expect them to continue to do well. Robert Morris, Bucknell. Talking about this one because I picked Bucknell, money line, and they end up losing this one on me. So once again, I just stunk it up. Bucknell had the lead, or Robert Morris jumped out to the early lead. Bucknell battles back and takes a 6-5 to five halftime lead. And then Robert Morris ran rough shot all over them in the third, outscoring Bucknell 6-2. to two, And the game is 12-9 to nine by the end. Robert Morris was led by Nick Pelletier, Pelletier, Pelletti, whatever the hell that dude's name is. He scored four goals on the day to lead Bucknell. And then what else we got? Towson beat up on the mount. I had a, it was funny. A lot of people were hyping up the mount in this one, which I think was just a joke. Towson jumps out literally to a 14-1 lead by the half, and they roll 22-7. Who put up all the points for Towson? Uh, Kyle Berkeley, 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Jacquin Villagomez, 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 five goals, hell of a job. A Nick DeMeo, you know, we still got DeMeos running around in the field. You're always going to be good if you got a DeMeo, two and two overall. And then what'd they do in cage here? Yeah, goalies didn't play great for the mount for damn sure. Uh, Evan Long had 11 saves against just four goals against for Towson. And then who won the faceoffs? Yeah, Townsend. It was kind of split, 16 to 30. Townsend took them, so not terrible, not terrible. What did we not talk about yet? Games that are coming up today. I got Cuse to watch at 1 o'clock. We got Villanova and Penn State. I, I did terrible betting this week. I'll talk about how terrible I did in betting. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about it today. I don't even want to look at it. I bet you I, last week I won nine, eight of eight, uh, eight. I was eight and three last week in terms of my betting, and I went up four and a half points. I bet you I'm down 15 points this week. And I bet you I went three and eight, if that. So I, I had a terrible day in terms of betting. Uh, high point beat up on Detroit Mercy. I didn't talk about that one. Hobart handled Canisius overall here. Uh, I did talk. Did I talk about Delaware and Lafayette? I think I forgot to. Delaware did end up beating up Lafayette. Who Ty Kurtz five and one. Mike Robinson two and two. And where JP Ward two and zero oh, uh, is what their high powered attack did for Delaware. 
Uh, Marist. Binghamton beat up on Marist, so we know Marist is not very good. Binghamton has been middling here within the America East for a while, so that's a good sign for Binghamton right down the road for me. Uh, Quinnipiac beat UMass Lowell 21-12. Bellarmine beat up on St. Bonaventure, so the Bonnies are not going to continue their success. They just lost to Bellarmine 14-10. Uh, who else we got? Lehigh Fair Fairfield. Lehigh handled Fairfield 20-10. Hampton beat Guilford 13 to 10. Merrimack beat LIU 15 to 9. Manhattan beat St. John's 9 to 5. Siena beat New Jersey Tech uh, 12 to 11. I forgot a lot of these games here. Uh, Utah uh, uh, beat Marquette 18 to 16. And that is all she wrote. Like I said, today we've got Villanova and Penn State, Syracuse and Holy Cross to still rock here, but man, I've talked for 38 minutes already, so I'm going to shut the hell up and get out of here. I will be back on Wednesday to do the preview. I'm going to start combining the preview show and the lines. It's too much to, to write these shows and do three of them and split them up. Plus, I feel like getting the Vegas lines out and my bets out by Wednesday is better than getting them out last minute on Friday, especially considering there's Friday games. So we're going to switch Friday back to film review Fridays and then Wednesdays. So it's going to be Sunday, big review show every weekend, uh, previewing or, or reviewing all the weekend games. Wednesday will be the weekend preview show, previewing next week games and talking about betting. And then Friday will always be just a quick film review Friday. So that's it. I'm out of here. Come back Wednesday for the weekend preview show. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. Factor. The Last Factor Podcast.